Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Well, grace and peace to each of you in the name of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. How good it is to be here in this beautiful sanctuary with you today with fantastic music. Baptists just know how to do it. They really know how to do it. Y'all are wonderful. Give them an applause. It's absolutely wonderful. Great singing. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Do I hear an amen? amen? I want to thank your pastor, Sean King, for his gracious invitation to be here this morning. He is such a kind and thoughtful person, gracious, smart, talented, handsome. Now, let me see if I got all my notes right that he asked me to say. Yeah, I think that's all he wanted me to say. <laughs> Is he watching this? <laughs> anyway, he is such a good friend, and I know how much he loves you and how much he loves this church, and I know you love him. It's good to be here with David White. You know, he is getting ready to celebrate his 30th wedding anniversary. Where are you, David? Jordy, leave. Did you go on your 30th wedding? Congratulations. That's great. 30 years. That's wonderful. Michael McCullough, of course, is dear friends. Your wonderful music team, orchestra, everyone. You know, I cannot stand here in this place without mentioning my beloved friend, Bill Self. He was the wind beneath my wings. And I miss him with all of my heart. Carolyn and Brian and Karen and the boys are here, Benjamin and Carter. I pray for you every day, and I pray for this church. Now, I have to tell you, just a few weeks ago, I was driving in my car, and I have the Bluetooth so that when the phone rings, it can tell you who's on the line. And I was driving along the phone ring. <laughs> I looked, it said, Bill Self Sell. Bill Self's cell phone. I about ran off the road. <laughs> and I thought, I love you, but I'm not ready to join you yet. Why? You know? <laughs> you see, I never took his cell phone out of my car. And Carolyn usually calls on the home phone. It's Bill Self home. Then I know it's Carolyn. Well, this was the cell phone. She had misplaced her phone and called me on Bill's cell phone. <laughs> Don't do that again. It just, about, it just about killed me. I want you to know it just about killed me. <laughs> well, I officially retired last week from active ministry as a United Methodist pastor. I've had several people to ask me, well, what are you going to do in retirement? And I said, I don't know. I feel like the man who retired his very first day, his wife went to work, and she came home and said, honey, what'd you do all day? He said, nothing. Next day, she went to work, came home, and said, what'd you do today? He said, nothing. She said, you did that yesterday. He said, I didn't get finished. I'm planning on doing nothing and not getting finished. 
one last thing I'll tell you. I had a, a, <laughs> a woman who called me from a church from 25 years ago. And she said, she's almost 90 years old, and she said, um, I hear you're retiring. What are you going to do in retirement? You're just going to get bored. Why don't you come back down and revitalize this church you left 25 years ago? She said, you can even preach the same sermons. No one will remember the ones you preached anyway. <laughs> God is my witness, she said that. Retirement is very humbling. I just want you to know it's very humbling. Well, I want you to know I brought my Bible with me. Bill always said he would see you in church 5,000 Bibles strong. So I brought my Bible. I wasn't real sure what to do with it. Baptists bring Bibles to church. Methodists bring fried chicken, you know. So we, uh, <laughs> but uh, I want us to, um, you may not remember this sermon, as they did in my former church, not remember them. But it's my prayer we remember God's holy word and that it's transformative in our lives. So if you have your Bibles, which you should, turn to Matthew, the 25th chapter, beginning with the 14th verse. Now, do Baptists stand for the reading of the gospel? Do y'all do that? No? Well, let's be Methodist. Stand for the reading of the gospel if you can. Stand up out of respect for God's holy word. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on a journey, and the man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And the man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five talents more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. And the master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came and said, Master, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with a banker so that when I return, I will have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him and throw, throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you be seated? Let's bow in prayer. Almighty God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen.
Well, the scripture for today is commonly called the parable of the talents. It's usually preached during a stewardship emphasis. When Sean called and asked me to preach, I was very excited and I said, yes, I'll be glad to do that. After all, I was just retired. I don't have anything to do. I would love to come. I would love to do that. And so we talked a little bit and then we, he, uh, we got off the phone. And he called me back about five minutes later and he said, I forgot to tell you, I want you to preach on the parable of the talents. And I thought... Well, I know y'all are not in a stewardship emphasis because Baptists never call Methodists to raise money. <laughs> never. It's always the other way around. I was always calling Bill to help raise money for the Methodists, you see. So I know y'all are not in a stewardship emphasis. Jesus taught in parables. And these particular parables, you have to know Jesus' number one thing to preach on was the kingdom of God. These parables are about the kingdom of God and the nature of God's kingdom. And how we hear a parable is determined by where we are in our lives. Every single one of us will hear my words and the word of God in unique ways. And that's the mystery and beauty of God's holy word. You're going to hear this differently. Everyone will. And I want to confess that of the parables of Jesus, this is one of the ones that I struggle with the most. Man goes off on a trip, leaves three of his slaves with a lot of money. Do you realize that one talent in Jesus' day was equivalent to a slave making enough money for 20 years? One talent would be 20 years of work for a slave. Can you imagine leaving someone that's an employee of yours that much money to look over? Would you do that? Better pay close attention. Would you do that? Would you leave that much money? I see many of you shaking your heads. To one he gives five talents, to another two, another just one. The master comes back, wants an accounting for his money. Slave number one says, you gave me five, I made five. And who wouldn't be excited about that? A hundred percent return on your money. That's fantastic. The one with two talents comes up and says, I've made two. And the master says, that's fantastic, 100% return. And then in his elation, he says, I tell you what, I'm going to give you more responsibility. Isn't that what you want to hear when you make money for someone? I'm going to give you more responsibility. And he invites them to enter in his joy and excitement over all the money he's made. Well, I want to stop and say that we can look at this parable thus far and assume, yes, that we need to be good stewards of whatever is given to us to take care of. Absolutely. We need to be good stewards of this earth. Wherever we live, we need to keep it clean and free from clutter. We need to use our money to glorify God. I can't stand in this pulpit where Bill Self stood for years and years and years without saying, give, 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 give. Do you feel like he's back in the pulpit now today? <laughs> Give generously. Yes, God has entrusted all of us with what we have, and we need to use it to God's glory. This is one of the most beautiful campuses. I have to tell you, I'm always bragging on this church. I had someone the other day when I was at the Methodist Conference in Athens, Georgia, who was asking me about this church, and they're going to come see it. 
And I'll tell you who it is. It's the new pastor of Johns Creek United Methodist Church. Do you know it's a woman? They're going to have a woman to succeed me at Johns Creek United Methodist Church. And yeah, okay, give her a hand. That's exactly right. I knew y'all were liberal, liberal Baptists, and have the women up here. But anyway, she's so excited to be part of the community. And I said, you want to get to know Sean King. You want to get to know the people of Johns Creek Baptist Church. I said, that's one of the most beautiful Baptists. I said, I always told Bill Self it's the Ritz-Carlton of Baptist churches. (laughs) It is gorgeous. But you know what? My sister just returned from the UK last night, and she said, I said, well, how was your trip? And she said, well, you know, the last time I was there, I was at Buckingham Palace. She said, it's always so beautiful, but it looked horrible. She said, it needs repair. She said, Kensington was absolutely gorgeous, but Buckingham is not in good shape. Do you know that a place like this takes a lot of money to take care of it? This facility, a lot of people don't understand. One of the greatest witnesses you have in this community is this facility. People driving by know that you care about the community, that you care about your relationship to God. So keep this in tip-top shape. Keep it in tip-top shape. Keep your body in shape. Keep your families in shape. Whatever's been entrusted to us, our friendships, invest in them. Take this part of the parable and let it sink in that wherever we are and whoever we are, wherever we are, we need to keep everything the best that God has given us. But now we turn to the third slave. Do you realize he is the only one of the slaves that tells the master the truth? He tells him the truth. By the way, Jesus never says that the master in this parable is God because I'm going to tell you it isn't. This is not God that's the master. Would God's, would Jesus have God have it? Listen to this. Jesus says of the third slave, Master, I knew you were a harsh man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what's yours. Seems like there's always someone that causes trouble. I had originally written in my uh, notes that every family that has at least three children, one's going to go astray. But that's not true. Anyone who has a child is going to have a child do something. (laughs) But here you have three, and at least one of them is going to be a troublemaker. The slave exhumed that talent from the ground and gave it back with the word of truth. We tend to run away from truth. One of the greatest experiences of my life was I got to study under the great psychiatrist, Scott Peck. Have any of you ever heard of Scott Peck? He wrote The Road Less Traveled, 25 years on the New York Times bestseller list. Scott Peck, that book, everybody ought to read it, The Road Less Traveled. But Scott Peck was my teacher. And he said to us one day in class, he said, if you think, pastors, that your people are coming to church to hear the truth, that's a lie. People don't come to church to hear the truth. We run away from the truth. We don't really want to hear it. What would it be like if we really heard God's Word to us? Well, we'd want to run away, wouldn't we? Oh, my goodness. We tend to run away from truth. Scott Peck said, you know, Jesus said, 
the truth will set you free. And we all shook our heads, and he said, that's a lie. And we said, no, it's not. He said, that's a lie. Jesus didn't even say that. And we said, yes, he did. We thought that well, he was an atheist when I was his teacher. And we thought, this man doesn't know the Bible. But you know what he said to us ministers? You don't know your Bible. He said, Jesus didn't say that. He said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Truth by itself will never set anyone free, will it? He said, you can tell someone they're an alcoholic all day long, but until that person realizes it deep within them, they will never change. One of the beauties of Alcoholics Anonymous, what do they say? Hello, I'm so-and-so. I am an alcoholic. They're acknowledging who they are. It's only when we know truth will it set us free. The master did not want to hear the truth. In fact, he gets enraged and he says, you wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter. Then you should have done something with my money so I could have had a return on it. And then he sends him out. He takes, his, takes that talent, gives it to the other one. Isn't it just like someone who's corrupt to take money from the poor and give it more to the wealthy and then sends him out to darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth? The writer of Matthew's gospel loves that expression, weeping and gnashing of teeth. He says it often. wants to stand up to a corrupt boss? Any of you ready? Who wants to stand up when the government is corrupt? You ready? Who wants to stand up from the underdog when our friends are the very ones who are keeping the underdog down in the first place? I'm not sure this scripture is really about talents at all. It's about how we read the Scripture and how the Scripture reads us. What on earth does this have to do with the kingdom of God? Isn't that what this parable is supposed to be about? Well, where do we see the kingdom of God in this? Many years ago, Dr. Charles Allen was the pastor of the largest Methodist church in America, Houston, the First United Methodist Church. He was asleep about 3 o'clock in the morning. The phone rang next to him, and he answered the phone. And the man on the other line said, Are you the pastor of that big church in downtown Houston? And Charles Allen said, I am. And the caller said, Tell your church to go to hell and slam down the phone. And Charles Allen was insist. Who would call and wake me up and say such a horrible thing to me? He was so mad. And as he settled down to go back to sleep, it occurred to him that the caller was prophetic. And he went to his church that Sunday and he said, that caller was right because that's precisely where the church needs to be. The church needs to go to those who are in hell and bring them heaven. And when we risk doing that, do you want to go to where people are in hell? What's at stake when we do that? 
Wow. It means getting involved. It means the possibility of rejection. It could mean being thrown to the lions. It might even mean dying. Look what happened to Martin Luther. I'm going to get to the Baptist in a minute. I had to have a Methodist. Now let me get to the Lutherans. Look what happened to Martin Luther, a Roman Catholic monk who stood up. Here was a small little man standing up to an entire denomination, the huge Roman Catholic Church. And he wrote his 95 Theses, the reasons he was upset with the church. And when the Pope got a hold to it, he was incensed. And anybody who's read the life of Martin Luther knows he had a contract put out on his life. He had to go underground for a while. Oh, my goodness. But he changed the Roman Catholic Church, and he started the Protestant Reformation. John Wesley stood up to those who would not open their church doors to the poor and the common people. He preached in the fields and in the mines and began a revolutionary way of spreading the good news forming the Methodist church. A little woman named Rosa Parks said no to those who insisted that the only way for a black person to ride a bus was in the back of it, and if a white person needed a seat, the blacks were to stand in the journey. She said no to a system much greater than herself. She is the one who began the civil rights movement that cost Martin Luther King Jr. his life and many, many others their lives. Look at the life of Abraham Lincoln, Jackie Robinson, Nelson Mandela, Dorothy Day, Mother Teresa, numerous others who have endured suffering, some persecution and death for the sake of turning this world to truth and justice. So the question I have for all of us today, what about you and me? Are we able to speak the truth in love? Can we exhume that which belongs to others and give it back to them and say, we do not need this? Rather, you need to hear the truth and love so that change can be made. Now, I want to close today by telling you about a little Baptist girl. True story. In 1886, there was a little girl named Hattie Mae Wyatt. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. She lived in a portion of Philadelphia. She was poor, dirty, but she had a desire to go to church. And she wanted to go to Grace Baptist Church there. The pastor was young and dynamic, and the people were flooding in, but it was a small church, and it was so crowded. Would you believe in 1886, the Baptists had to get a ticket to go to church? And sometimes they would have to get them three weeks in advance because everyone wanted to hear this pastor. He was so popular. Well, one day, the pastor saw little Hattie Mae out playing, and he invited her to church. And that Sunday, he was sitting here and looking outside as people were coming in, crowding the place, and he saw Hattie Mae come up with a little Bible, and he saw the ushers doing this. You, there's no room for you. No room. And he got down, and he ran out the door, and he picked her up, and he said, you can sit with me. And he brought her up and set her up in the chancel area. Well, he looked for her the next Sunday, and she didn't show up. 
So he found her home, knocked on the door, and the mother said, Hattie is dying. She's dying. But I'm going to take you in her room, and you can visit with her. And he went in and sat down with her and told her how much he had missed her at church, and she reached behind her pillow and pulled out 57 cents. And she gave it to the pastor and said, would you take this to your, your church and build a church where every little girl will have a place to sit? A few days later, Hattie died. And at her funeral, the pastor at a packed house told of going to see her. And he said, she wants us to build a church where every little girl can have a place to sit. And he went down, and he put that 57 cents on the altar table. And when he turned to come back up, people were getting out of their pews and coming down and putting money on the altar table. And I want you to know from the money that was raised, not only did they build a new church, they were able to buy the house across the street from that church with the money left over. And do you know what's there today? Temple University. Temple University has one of the greatest medical centers in all the nation. It's one of the greatest universities. And if you go there today, you'll see the picture of little Hattie Mae Wyatt, a little girl who thought 57 cents could build a church. And you know what? She was right. Is it amazing to you that sometimes God works in mighty ways through the least likely people? People who exhume the strength and courage to not only tell the truth, but to be the truth at the risk of being thrown into the outer darkness. My friends, may we be such people so that the kingdom of God can come on this earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit.